What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Fandom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here with Anthony, Lori, and Mike is back. Yay! Hey, Mike. Yay. Welcome 100. back. Yep. We missed you. In the house. Yep, that's me. We missed you. <laughs> I missed you guys too terribly. I can't. I mean, I've gotten so used to recording and and nerding out with you guys. When I don't do it, I'm like, it gets built up, and I just start blabbing blabbing out random nerdy stuff to people and they're looking at me like what the hell are you talking about mike and i'm like i need my friends i need my well how about this next time you take us to key west with you and then we can record in key west on the beach with those beautiful sunsets that you that you've been posting pictures of deal after after covid and all that nonsense i'm sure there's a con around there somewhere that we can do so yes deal let's do it Cool, cool. All right, let's get into it. We are talking A Discovery of Witches, season two, episode three. And we have like really been trying to wait for Mike to get back because he was like, I want to record. So let's talk real real briefly because we've, we've gone through two episodes without you. What have you thought about the first two episodes, Mike? I did, I did episode one with you guys. I just missed two. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay um episode two that's the one with i'm glad she finally met the witches and and they are and they all circled her and welcomed her and welcomed her and gave her the he all of them gave her the day miyagi i will teach karate speech at the same time and that was cool um i i'm i'm really excited about this season especially leading up from episode two to episode three really got me hyped especially for like certain things to come was get, probably getting ready to come in episode four mm-hmm. is probably going to be what kicks everything up really to the next notch. And I, I hate the, I hate the vampire that runs London. The, the, um, father Hubbard. Yes. He's weird. Cecil. And him, Cecil. Oh my God. No, Cecil is I, human. No, 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 oh, like, that's right. That's right. Comparatively speaking, I hate, I hate Hubbard way more because he reminds me of an evangelist where he's like, come to me and I'll save you and all that stuff. And I'm like, ah, no, nah, I'll see. That's not what and he's And he's ugly. I'm like, man, I usually don't comment on how men, other men look, but he's an ugly mother, son of a gun. He looks like he's old. He he looks yeah. like he's a very, very old vampire. He yeah. looks like he, he dug himself out of his own grave. Seriously, I thought, I thought vampires were supposed to age well, and he's not aging well at all. I'm like, bruh, you're supposed to look way better than that. I mean, even Gerbert looks better than him, and that's saying something. But yeah, I really did enjoy enjoy episode two. I'm glad that she's finally getting into that. She's finally getting ready to start her training. And going into this episode, I thought that I thought that her train, the training scenes where she was in, were really like I thought. I was like, okay, now we're starting to get into it. And she finally doesn't look as helpless as she has before. So I'm ready, I'm ready to get into it, yeah. Okay. All right, well, let's get into this episode. And I think um, the way that they've been bouncing kind of back and forth between scenes, I think it'll just be better if we just kind of start in one place and just kind of let the conversation flow as opposed to trying to do like an actual recap um, just because there's so many different things going on. Um, as we discussed in the last episode, we're starting to get glimpses now of modern day stuff in 
in addition to the 1590 stuff. So of course we start this episode out with my boy Domenico. <laughs> Don't be shaking your head at me, Mike. <laughs> so we get Domenico back in Venice, back in 2020. Um, I, I'm going to assume they're still in 2020. Um, and there's a murder scene that Domenico has been called to. Again, I don't, we've been wondering since the beginning of the show exactly what is Domenico like? Is he a cop? Was he a former cop? Is he like an investigator? Or is he just somebody who just kind of has his nose everywhere and just knows all of the goings on in Venice? So apparently the the cops who are investigating this murder, they've brought Domenico in because there's something weird about the murder. And of course they pull back the sheet and this this person is, I mean, that person was probably torn up worse than the guy that Juliet got to in the first season, you know? So we know that this was obviously a creature kill and, you know, we don't see Domenico again until like later on in the episode, but he kind of, he gives the notion that this killing is somehow related to the de Claremonts. And he makes a comment to Jaber when he speaks to him. He says, well, we've all heard the rumors about the de Claremonts, um, what did he say, poison bloodline? I'm like, bloodlust. I'm like, wait, what rumors? We haven't heard any rumors. I want to know more about these rumors. Like, so apparently there's something, there's something with the Declaremont family that will cause them to lose that kind of control. So at this point, it's kind of like, okay, is this Baldwin or is this someone else? Because we know it's not Matthew. Matthew's in 1590. We know it's not Isabeau. Isabeau is in France. There really is no one else left unless you go to Marcus and Miriam, which we haven't seen them yet. It could be his sister. Well, it's not, it's not Miriam because <clears throat> remember Miriam is, is, I don't, I don't think an actual like sire of his. Mm. Oh yes, that's right. But do we know where Matthew's sister is? She's I mean, dead. I okay. She, she's, she's, she's the one that got in trouble in Jamaica and then, and she was killed because she was flaunting being a vampire too much. Okay. And that she's wasn't the one. The show was it? Uh, yeah, it was. Was it in the show? No, they haven't. Okay, well, okay, well, okay. Maybe that's okay. Maybe. Well, I could have sworn in the first season we saw her portrait. We saw her portrait, and that's literally. And he's oh. and he and yeah, and he said that's my sister. But right. in the in the book series, uh, she had gone to Jamaica, and she hadn't. Uh, hidden how much of a vampire that she was and she basically got run out of town and was uh, killed okay but so she brought a lot of she brought a lot of drama wherever she went and they weren't surprised that she died hmm. i know it's early in the show but i have a theory ah hey that's good. It's, a, it's a small one the i think they hinted at it before with something kind of being wrong with the claremont bloodline because we didn't really get a full explanation about how those two women that Matthew had loved before died. 
True. So mm-hmm. maybe he lost control of himself in those two circumstances and killed them both. But that still mm-hmm. wouldn't really explain how this person died and because Matthew's not even there. Okay, now my my, my theory my theory is that it's it's a person I have my suspicions, but that is a person um that he that that he may have sired who ah. is not accounted for. Okay. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I'm over there. <clears throat> I'm out of practice. Okay. So <laughs> let's look let's look at how this is this was set up. Domenico walks into a dark alley. There's already a cop there. He pulls it back and he shows him the body that was ravaged by something. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then he goes to Gerber and tells him, yeah, there's a body there. It looks like it could be the, the Claremont. You know, their bloodline is really messed up. And it's like, and Gerber goes on. He's like, what do you want? And, and he says he wants Venice, which is like, okay, sure. Just give me a town. Just give me my country. Oh, no, he said, I used to rule Venice. So to right. Rule that. That's what, yeah, that's we'll, talk right. That. we'll talk about that in a okay. minute. Yeah. So, now, let's think about this. He's He has information that Gerber wants, and now he's trying to get back into his good graces and get doing this quid pro quo thing. But he also has a favor waiting with, um, what's his name? Oh, I see where you're going. So, okay, so he goes to Baldwin and says, well, there was a body there. It was ravaged. It could be I think that Domenico killed that person. And he, ah. he he's setting things in motion so that Gerber and Baldwin go at each other or they start accusing each other and fighting. And next thing you know, this is what I said in the first season, that Domenico is that kind of guy where he's smart enough that he he can start things. And it's just like in, in elementary school, we hit somebody and said, they hit you. And they're like, what? And you turn around and they start fighting and then they knock each other out. I think this is what's happening. I think that Gerber, I think that Domenico is playing both sides to the middle. And once they get in the middle and eliminate each other, not only does Domenico get Venice back, but he's the HBIC. I think yeah. this is the start to his plan in turning all that around. I like that theory. Mm. Mm. I like that theory. But while we're talking about them, okay, so... Domenico goes to Javert. And of course, Javert is like all offended. Like, you have some nerve showing your face to me after you betrayed me. Um, Excuse me, whatever. Domenico is kind of holding all the cards right now. And he, you know, he tells Javert about this body. And, you know, they go into their little song and dance, tip for tap. What do you want? What's the price? Domenico says Venice. And when Javert kind of laughs it off, He's like, the city was run so much better when I ran it and you took it from me. I was like, wait, hold up. So Domenico was big enough at one point that he ran Venice. So one, that's an interesting fact. And that would explain a lot about why he's so manipulative and why he can kind of get into the nooks and crannies of everything going on and kind of get things going his way. I mean, Baldwin owes him a huge favor. That's not a small feat. You've got the head of the congregation who owes you a favor. That's Mm -hmm. not something a peon can do. So I'm impressed by that. But two, I want to know what the hell did Jaber 
do to take Venice from Domenico? Mm-hmm. I want to know what that story is. Well, you, you know, it, it, well, you'd have to know, first of all, what era or what year, and then you could sort of extrapolate from that because Venice is one of those things, once you're in control of that city, it's really hard to lose control unless you really have something like a religious uh, thing or uh, some sort type of, of uh, fight or not war, but it would have had to have been something really big that involved humans. And, you know, like I said, it would depend upon what year, what era. But I can't see anything that would be so big that he would lose it unless he lost it, say, oh, I don't know, 1590. Hmm. But, you know, Jabert did say something to Domenico about the fact that he lost it because he was getting involved in human politics. That could have, yep, yeah, that could be. So... They, they say he lost it in like 15, yeah. What Was it during a war or some, what was it? I don't it? think they said, I don't think they really they didn't said. say, yeah. So that's yeah. just, I guess but that's yeah. one of those things, again, you know how I always say that they always give us like these little bitty tidbits and it's going to be important later on. So I'm pretty sure we'll probably find out more about that in this season because that's just something that's that was so random to put in the episode if it was not going to be something huge. But I was just kind of like, oh, this changes my whole viewpoint on their relationship or their rivalry or whatever you want to call it. It it changes things a lot because, you know, it's, it's very clear Domenico was not always the runner boy the Aaron boy, which is what we kind of looked at him as in the first season, you know? Right. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, this is interesting. It kind of goes, it kind of goes to the point to show what kind of power Jaber had too. I mean, Jaber, mm-hmm. for him to have taken over Venice from him, he had to have had a lot of, a lot of power, either physical power or political power to be able to take it over from him. Or, Another thing is that maybe something happened where he was out of con- where it got out of control, and he helped him, and he just kept control, or he couldn't get control back. I think Hanako may have hit on it, but more like when she said, because Jabir basically said, "We took it from you because you were interfering in human affairs." Ah, uh, yeah. So okay, if you if you think about like how the congregation, how Philippe created the congregation, it seems that the vampires kind of have a theme for kind of staying out of the human's way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if he was controlling Venice with the Iron Fist and meddling in the human politics, then the vampires on the outside would be like, okay, he's taking it kind of too far. Who can we give it to? Oh, look, Jaber. Jaber used to be the Pope. He knows Italy, so let's let's send him there mm-hmm. and let him take it, take it from him. And from, and from what he said, like, you know, we used to be a great place. Now you have, you have souvenir shops everywhere and da, da, da. It's like, he was like, he was speaking down on everything. Like he was like, you just, you're, you're, you're basically letting everybody do whatever the hell they wanted to. So yeah, I mean, that definitely speaks to what you were saying that he, that he probably had it. He probably may had more stringent rules or just just more he was more strict with them maybe yeah like everything but, had yeah, to run through him that. 
everything happened run through him as opposed to letting them do their thing. Like you it's know, a tourist attraction. Venice is a tourist attraction yeah. now. That's not something that he would have wanted. He would have wanted to keep it as a classic city. Right, and that's what I was going to say. Because of the fact that he was born there and that's his city, he probably has genuine love for the city, for the culture, for what it was, as opposed to Jaber. I mean, we don't know how Domenico is living. We've never seen his, you know, residence, but Jaber lives very grand. You know, it seems like Jaber is the type of person, the, the power and the the um, prestige that comes along with that power are what's important to him. Not necessarily the city, not necessarily how- The culture or the people. Right, exactly. So it's, it's like a very stark contrast between those two characters. And it's, it's interesting to see because now, again, like I said, that kind of, for me, it paints Domenico in a whole new light. So now I kind of want to, I want to know this history, and I'm like, okay, so what do we need to do to get Ben give Venice back to Domenico? <laughs> you were you were like that anyway. Stop it. Just give Domenico whatever he wants. What you, <laughs> you want Rome too? Give him Rome too, because no, because here's the thing: because we look at him the way that they presented him in the first season, we look at him as kind of like this manipulative, sneaky, backstabbing, two faced. Well, he you is. Kind of, sort of. Oh, yeah. But, but <laughs> sort of if he is that way now, maybe it's because of what he, that's what he's had to do to survive after losing, yeah. you know, rulership of the city that you were born in. I mean, imagine this is the city that you used to rule over, the city that you're from, the city that's your heartbeat. And then somebody else comes in and then tells you, what you can and can't do. It's like Killmonger going to Wakanda trying to change everything that they were that they were used to. And he had never set foot that you know it's it's kind of like that. Mm. So maybe there's a reason why Domenico is the way he is, you know. So you're saying Domenico wants to throw Jerbear over a waterfall after oh, <laughs> you don't get the, you don't get that idea? I, I want to throw. I personally want to throw him over waterfalls. So yes, I totally understand that. Yeah, but okay, let's move on because we we could speculate on that all all day. And like I said, I think that especially now because we're starting to see a little bit more of the modern day in the story, I'm pretty sure that's going to come up again some somewhere within the next seven episodes. Mm-hmm. So we'll just we'll just wait and see. Um. Let's see, let's see, where do we go? Let's go to Matthew because um, Matthew Matthew seems to have done an about face because in the last episode, we learned about Father Hubbard. We learned that there really is no love lost between the Declaremonts and Father Hubbard. Like it's basically, you stay out of my way, I'll stay out of yours. And when Father Hubbard came to Matthew to ask a favor to set his, you know, his child um free Matthew basically was like giving him the finger he was like screw you I'm not doing any kind of favors for you whatsoever whatever and then now that he's killed that person that he knows okay you know what this is gonna cause some problems you know he's already been fussed at by Cecil he already knows Father Hubbard is gonna have an issue with it so now here comes Matthew going to beg for Father Hubbard's forgiveness 
And it's so different from the way we've seen Matthew in 1590 so far. Like Matthew in 1590 has been a whole different type of, his personality has been different. The way that he carries himself has been different. The way he talks to people has been different. And it's like, now we see a little bit more of the 21st century Matthew in this scene. And of course we know it's because of Diana. Not only because I think Diana has kind of softened his rough edges, but at the same time, I think at this point, you know, Father Hubbard made some threats in the last episode, like, oh, do I need to call Philippe de Clermont to get some assistance? So he knows that Father Hubbard is not above, you know, oh, I'm telling your daddy what you're doing. <laughs> And so didn't, he, didn't didn't he send the letter in the last he episode? He did, and Matthew Philippe? does not know that he sent a letter to Philippe, which is probably how Philippe knew to send him a letter. He was like, "Oh yeah, you know what? I've heard about the things you've been doing. You need to come home and explain yourself." It's like an errant, you know, errant college boy going off the rails while he's on a scholarship, and Dad's like, "Okay, you know what? You need to come home and get your shit straight." come home and 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 you know get it all out your system let's let's have this talk and whatever so you know it it was it was funny because i was like matthew you know being humble is a good trait sometimes because it's not a good look for you to figuratively give somebody the finger one minute and then you have to be on your knees begging for forgiveness the next that's not a good look whatever the reason you're doing it for it's not a good look i mean well, he, he realized he messed up and he did the good catholic thing to do you know he knew father hubbard would take it as an offense so he went to ask for forgiveness i mean it's like you said she has Dan has changed him and and he now has a little bit more compassion mm -hmm. and that was why he killed Thomas and this is also why he's asking for forgiveness yeah like but he tried he, he, didn't he say it was a mercy killing he, he said mm -hmm. he did it it was but it was also because he said that there was no way to keep Thomas alive yeah. where Diana would be safe right, right. So I think even above a mercy killing, it was more so how is, if, if I let him go, how would that affect Diana? If I do what Cecil says and torture him, how would that affect Diana? Both of those outcomes didn't look too good because they're already suspecting that he's starting to show some sympathies towards the witches, which is unlike him. Cecil is all, you know, already suspicious and he's like, mm, okay this is what's going on with you okay yeah let's 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 try to figure out what's going on let's figure out how to get this fixed so matthew really doesn't have too much of a choice in the matter it's either let him go free torture him or kill him so this really reminds me of there were like there were like some movies in the 80s had the premise where they got where uh, get, the main character goes away to college and gets educated. Then he comes back to town with his fiance, and everybody sees him. They're like, "Hey!" Then they're like, "Oh, like you're different now. You've changed." But then, the longer he's in town, the longer he starts 
becoming the person that he was before he left. And he knew that he had to leave because he was becoming something that he, becoming a person he didn't want to become. But it's, but it's the same thing with him. It's like the longer he stays there in the past, the more he becomes that Matthew. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's really, I, I think that's, I mean, he's going to, especially the part where in last episode where Kit got that earring off the, off the other guy and gave it to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a transitional thing. It's mm-hmm. like there, now you're, now you're Royston again. And it's but, like, yeah. and I was, that's, that's the thing where they're trying to get him back to be the person he was before he, the person that he's supposed to be now. Right. Because right. what do they tell people who get out of jail? Don't go back to your old haunts. Don't go right. back to your old neighborhoods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. same thing and, and this is the thing that i mean literally before they even left this is what diana was warned about isabel warned her about matthew not being what she thought hamish said okay if you guys go back in time you have to be patient you're you're gonna have to you know he, he's gonna change the longer he's there he's gonna be different Kit told her that at the end of the first episode of this season. This is not going to be the Matthew that you think you know. Don't think, don't, don't put it in your head to think that you know who he is because you don't. And then we get yeah. another warning at the end of this episode when we meet Matthew's nephew, Gallo Glass, Stephen Creed. He's finally on the screen. Yay. So when we meet Gallo Glass and he gives the summons from Philippe for Matthew to return to set tour with Diana. He takes her to the side and he says, Matthew will need you at set tour. You have to be his anchor or he will lose himself. This is the fourth warning that she has gotten about Matthew and the third one that she's gotten about the Matthew from this time. So it's just, it's one of those things where, again, and I said this in the last episode, I feel like they're not doing enough to find the book at this moment because they're trying to, I think they're trying to deflect suspicion from everyone that Matthew is not the Matthew that they know in this time. And they're spending so much time doing that and focusing on getting Diana trained that the book has kind of become a side quest. And I feel like and, the and longer it takes for I, them to do that, uh-huh. I was gonna say, this, this was gonna be one of my complaints about the show. I know we're three episodes in, mm-hmm. but like, I'm, I'm glad we finally get some stuff about the book, but they spent so much time trying to um, navigate this new situation mm-hmm. that there hasn't been any movement on the book. Situation. Right. Right. And even when we think that we're going to get some movement on the book in this episode, bam, here comes Philippe summoning you to France. And it's kind of like, okay, now you have to go to France because other than that, Philippe is going to come to England and then the shit is really going to hit the fan. So you kind of had, and, and I understand the reasoning for it all, like there comes a moment where they do have to prioritize because again, it won't make any sense for them to get the book if Diana still doesn't have control of her magic 
and doesn't understand her magic. And we see in these first few episodes, Diana still has a, a lot to learn, not, not just about doing magic, but about what her magic is and what, what it is about her and her magic that makes her so special. She still has a lot to learn. So it wouldn't make sense for her to be ignorant of that and still go after the book. So I understand that, but I just want them to kind of hurry along just a little bit. But I also had, there was something that I thought about the second time that I watched this episode. Um, so we, we remember them going to visit Dr. D and finding out about his scryer who um, kind of slipped the book out of his possession and stayed in Bohemia. And he didn't find this out until, you know, he had gotten back to England. I was kind of wondering, I think the scryer's, the, the former scryer's name was Edward Kelly. And they talk mm -hmm. about how he took this book and everything. I'm kind of wondering, and I may be way off here, but I was wondering if maybe that is actually Diana's father using an alias. That could be. That, that, yeah, given, the yeah. I don't yeah. I don't think so. Not how they're not how they're how much we talked about the king, the, the king of Bohemia being a crazy man. So I I think that I I'm I'm not saying you're wrong. Uncle, saying, yeah, 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 you have to say I have a theory first before you do these. <laughs> I think but that code needs to say that. I think I'm the only one on the show who hasn't said that because I think Lori said it a couple of episodes. I didn't. <laughs> I have a theory. <laughs> but yeah, I really thought about that. Like the second time I watched the episode, I said, okay, I think it's just, it was so sudden. Even the way that Dr. D described it, you know, you have this scryer who has been with you for years. And then all of a sudden you come into possession of this one particular book. And when you come back home from having been abroad, not only did your scryer all of a sudden resign and stay behind in Bohemia because this, uh, was it the king of Bohemia or the, mm -hmm. the, the, the emperor, emperor, emperor how, how of Bohemia emperor. took a sudden great interest in him, but he left you and stole a book that was in your possession and, re and replaced it with something else. That's some sneaky shit. And for someone who they don't, the, the other people, Dr. D and the other scryer, they know kind of the history behind the book a little bit as far as where the book supposedly came from, but they don't know why it's so important. So for someone to be able to say, hey, this book is really important. Let me steal it and put a fake. You have to have some kind of knowledge of it. And then if you remember when Diana was in Dr. D's library, there was that one book that she looked at where she could actually see the symbols moving. And Dr. D said something about it's the that's the that book has something to do with the angels telling telling him things or communicating things and that supposedly Edward Kelly was one of the few people who was able to decipher what was in the book it, it's just I feel like it's too much coincidence I don't know I I think it's I think it would be more likely that Edward Kelly is a witch and because the thing is 
I would think that her father, Diana's father, um, is it Robert Proctor? What's his name? Anyway, Steven. I would think Stephen Proctor. I would think he, as powerful as he is, I think he wouldn't need to. He would need the cover of the emperor. Like he, he's not nefarious. He would have just come back with the book and done the work there with Mr. D. Like they, why, why would he even do that unless- Maybe he got stuck. Remember what <laughs> Emily said? She said that the more you time walk and the further you go back, it can get harder to do. And remember, we've, we've had discussions about, we don't, we don't even know if Stephen Proctor was actually born in the 20th century or the 21st century. Right, but I think he might have been. I, well, I, been I respectfully disagree. Time. I just don't think that. I just don't think that Mr. Kelly is. I think Mr. Kelly is just as crazy as the Emperor of Bohemia, thinking he can make the Sorcerer's Stone, mm. because you know that that that's just he. Because it just sounds like he's an alchemist, maybe alchemist slash witch, mm-hmm. who's just kind of lost it, you know. And no one in their right mind is actually going to think that they can make the Sorcerer's Stone, like. Otherwise, all the other alchemists would have been would have killed for that book. And maybe he's just one of those that would. But I just don't think that. Stephen never, Stephen, I keep calling him Stephen. It's Stephen. It's Stephen. I don't know. That, that would seem out of character. Even the little we know about him, that just, that doesn't seem, uh, that didn't seem in character for him just to, um, abscond with a book and hang around this crazy dude who kind of everyone seems to know is kind of crazy so you know i i think it's i think it's a solid theory i just disagree (laughs) i like to like to go back to shouting out this series for as hanukkah said being an extremely smart series because ever kelly did in fact exist he's part of history and he's a real occultist so it's like you there's there's so many parallels to real history it's like they get they find like it's like people in history and they just kind of like throw like okay well this is this person except he's a vampire this is that girl except she's a witch this is that person except they're a demon they just kind of switch it up just like edward kelly is was an actual occultist and medium and that he that he really talked to Ashmore, which is crazy. Like, uh-huh. oh, well, see, then that gives Hanukkah's theory some weight because I think we all think <laughs> that Stephen talked to. There are accounts of Kelly finding a book and the powder and powder to make gold in the ruins of Glastonbury Abbey, and that it was first published by Elias Ashmore. But but these diaries contradict that. So they're saying that there was an Ashmore. They that that Kelly found that that there there are accounts that he found the book in in ruins of Glastonbury Abbey. So maybe there is an Ashmole seven thirty two that if we if we see it, we have to kind of look behind our shoulders and make sure that we're not going to get seven eighty two. Yeah, um, I looked it up when I first started watching the series. There is there was an actual Ashmole seven eighty two manuscript, and it is missing. Mm-hmm. So I yeah I did look that up, but um. Yeah, it's just, you know, again, and, and we've talked about it, the way that they do tell this series and the way that they interweave history with what's going on and kind of make it all connect, 
it's one of those things where I've said it before, like if I'm doing regular research or regular schoolwork on history, I'll read it and forget it in just the same moment. But telling the story in this way, it makes you interested in what these characters, you know, who these characters are, where they actually fit into history. And it, it kind of makes you want to learn, okay, well, I need to go learn everything about Elizabeth, uh, uh, about Eliz Elizabethan London. You know, whereas before I would have been like, okay, let me just go watch, you know, the Tudors or go watch, you know, what happens after, you know, any, any number of the shows that, that talk about this period, but they do it in such a clever way. And, you know, it, it makes you stay interested in the story that they're telling. But again, kind of like Anthony said, we did start watching this show and we got interested in it because of this book. Like that was the thing that kind of kicked it off. So now I'm kind of like, okay, you guys need to bring this book into the story more. And I know they're, you know, they're mm. kind of dragging it out because they've, I think, like I said, they've got more episodes this season. So there's a little more story to tell, but it's kind of like, okay, let's, get it on let's let's move it's, on with it it's, it's almost we're... like when, when when i was playing mass effect the mass effect games video games you sit there and you start doing the side quests and you keep doing side quests you do another side quest mm -hmm. and another side quest and another side quest too the game is like hello you forgot about the main storyline <laughs> right <laughs> you get to a point where the, the the game just says no 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 mm -hmm. it's time for you to get to the main storyline right um um, there's another game that's like that. Elder Scrolls games, which they do that where they give you so many side quests that you forget that there's an actual main storyline. <laughs> you could you could be sticking side quests for a hundred hours, you know, and and never try to finish the game. Oh wow! Because you're off doing all this other stuff. Each. Um. That that sounds tiring. <laughs> well, if you're into that, a lot of things, it, it doesn't work for a TV series. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know, and, and I think I told yeah. Michael this last time. It's like we don't have any, we haven't had any action either. This has been a bunch of people standing around talking. Yeah, but and, I have felt a little bit of magic. action now because, <clears throat> again, Gala Glass has now entered the show, and all of the the majority of the promos that I saw prior to the start of season two, where you saw Gallo Glass, there was action. So I think we're, we're about to get into that part of, of the series now, especially since they're about to go to France. You know, it's a good thing France is on the way to Bohemia. That way they can just, you know, just stop pop over for a second, then just go on their continue on their little quest. Yeah. And I think that's what Matthew is planning on doing. So. Oh, um, since you mentioned Galaglass, I have a side note. Um, we got confirmation that that he has been displaced, that Matthew's been displaced. Yes. Because oh, Galaglass yeah. is like, you were in the hotel and you vanished. Right. They said, without you, paying your bill. they said you left without paying your bill. That's so unlike you. It's like, oh, okay, I guess he did. Which again, it, now I really want to know, okay, so if he disappeared, if the moment that Matthew DeClaremont showed up and Matthew Royden disappeared, 
Where is Matthew Roy? And, like, I still want to know that. He's, he's in he? the ether. He is in the ether, you know? He's and, probably and, haunting I, the hotel right now. Like, I'm still here. But the thing is, like I've said before, that explains, because like, Matthew's like, I don't remember what I was doing at this time. Yeah. Because he wasn't there. <laughs> he was gone. Yeah. He doesn't uh -huh. remember. Yeah. And that, I, like I said, just like with the dancing with uh, Marta and his mother, he's like, I don't really remember what we were doing that night mm -hmm. because they weren't there. Right. They right. displaced. That, and the fun and the funny thing too, if you think about it, when Matthew was in the church praying and Kit came behind him, he said, with all the with all the you know ruckus of our arrival, I completely missed all souls. And wasn't that like supposed to be like that was the night they were they were trying to get back to that because that was an important night. So it's kind of like, hmm, how is that going to affect, you, you know, again, we've had this conversation. We don't we have speculations as far as how this whole time travel thing is and what happens to them, like when Diana and Matthew finally decide to go back to the future is it going to affect them in the future and stuff? So we still have speculation, but yeah, that that gallow glass <laughs> statement was when he said it. I was like, oh, so he did just up and vanish. And it's such a throwaway line. You disappear without paying your bill. That's so unlike you, right? Oh, so he was displaced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because remember, I thought he was you know still stuck in Scotland. So well, you yeah. guys were right. I was wrong. But yeah, nope. Gallo Glass very clearly says, hey, the hotel clerk said you just left without paying. That's that's not like you. And Matthew's like, yeah, we've got a lot to discuss. <laughs> like, right. like, where do you even begin to have that conversation? And and the other thing is when we see Gallo Glass come into the picture, that is the first time ever in this series that I have seen Matthew experience true joy. Like when, when Gallo Glass showed up, he had laughter, he had a smile, he, you know, gave him a hug. He's never, he's never greeted anybody else in the series like that ever. I'll give you that. Gallo, hey, yeah, Gallo, Glass is obviously, Gallo Glass is obviously very strong because he just picked Matthew up like he was nothing and flung him around the room. So, huh. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. So, so does that mean that does that mean that Baldwin is his father then? Because he's his uncle. And, um, I think you was it you that said it or somebody said that he's the I, no Baldwin is not his father. It's got to be another brother because remember he told Diana that he wouldn't go to set tour because his father was killed in France. That's true. Yes. That's true. Yes. Okay. So okay. So they okay. now declare my somewhere or yeah, it had to have been another declare my or maybe he's Louisa's child or Louisa's sire. That could well, well yeah, because he because because Galglass is definitely Irish. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So there's some French that uh, he said he wouldn't step foot. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Because I, I still don't know that much about Matthew's sister yet. So she's only been no, a couple of times. No. So. Well, yeah, and like and like I said, she was she was definitely not in in England at the time of her passing. Huh. 
now now I got to go back and now I got to think about what you know because if they're following historical events and figures, then there there's got to be something there. Yeah, yeah. Another thing we get to see in this episode, aside from Matthew's joy, um, we get to see him be a father to little Jack, and it's the sweetest thing, you know. And like I, I said, the the character of Jack reminds me of a character in Outlander. Uh, there's a young boy named Fergus. And when you listen to kind of their story, they are similar. Fergus in Outlander was also, like I said, he was born in a brothel, raised in the brothel. And he kind of, you know, used to do errands around the brothel and he used to pickpocket. And that's how he came to be with the two main characters, uh, Jamie and Claire in Outlander. And they pretty much raised him as as their own son to the point where he's an adult now in the show and he's still with them. So Jack's story kind of reminded me of that. And just the way that Matthew is with him. And then when, you know, when you finally see Matthew and Diana with him together, it's just, it's so sweet. So I know that Jack is a huge, huge fan favorite because the moment he showed up on screen, my Twitter exploded. So Apparently he's going to make a big impact in the show. And I, I don't know in what way, especially since they're having to leave him behind. But I, I just thought that was really sweet that we got to see different sides of Matthew that we have not seen up till this point. We got to see him like really, really joyous. And then we got to see him very tenderly as a father figure. And he even told Diana, he said, you know, I'm woefully out of practice. And I was watching the show with my daughter when he said that, and she had completely forgotten the fact that Matthew had been a father before. So when he said that, she was like, oh, I forgot. That's so sad. But it's so sweet that he gets to do it again. So, yeah, that's that's just a side note. That was sweet. I actually have Jack and I have in my notes Jack and Matthew with a heart next to it. OK, okay. We, got, yeah. we got the, the men. The men folk have something to say. OK, now, don't get too comfortable about Jack staying put in London because if we have any experience with young precocious boys in series like this he's going to end up in France of course we've okay. already called oh, him no. our squirrel so we yeah, he is squirrel so he will end up in France or Bohemia or probably both and nipping at nipping at Philippe Seals and Philippe's like who is this little little vermin and it's like that's exactly what's going to happen. So just just be you get used to seeing him because you're going to see him a lot on this journey. I guarantee it. And also, I have a theory <clears throat> that he that they're going to take him back with when they when they walk back to the future. They're taking. Mm -hmm. I thought about that too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I, I just don't. I just don't see. I don't see any any feasible way that they would leave him behind unless he dies, which, you know, unfortunately, 1590s, young child, that that could easily happen, but I don't see that happening. Go yes, ahead. Anthony, yeah, what's go. your theory? My theory is, okay, this show does a lot of info dumps. There hasn't been a lot of action, but every scrap of information they've given us has been relevant to the story, right? Mm -hmm. So right. they just happen to introduce this little boy who Matthew just happens to treat like a son. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I, I know. I was going there too. <laughs> so I have this belief that 
you know, there's going to be a long season that I don't think they're going to bring Jack with them. I think we're going to see Jack in the future as a vampire. And as a grown man. Jack to the future. As an adult. (laughs) Did you just say Jack to the future? You know what? I'm about to mute your mic. (laughs) I had an alternate theory that he was Jack Sparrow, but the person I live with who I'm related to by marriage, she she shot that down fairly quick. Good good for you, Michelle. Good for you. But I I think we're going to see him. We're going to see him again. I like that. In the present day, so I wonder maybe he's the one that's going around killing people. Yeah. Yes. 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 Because you notice it happened, and it started happening as soon as they went back. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as if they that was something that was altered in the timeline. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Yeah. And 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 if the blood lust or whatever the blood sickness is an inherited thing then that would make sense that it would be jack and that and and maybe dominico knows this and that's he's probably like oh i know who this is yeah because you know what he he and matthew have known each other for quite a long time they fought in the crusades together so So, yeah so he would know Hmm. so I, i like my theory I like your theory too. We've all got. Yeah, I don't think they're going to bring him back though. I think, I think, I think that was the reason why. If you, if you, because I watched the episode again, those two things sort of happen, kind of together. When, when, when Domenico was talking to Jaber, at parallel, we were getting them taking in Jack. Right. So it was sort of, they were, those things occurred too close together. Thank you, writers, for you to make make that connection for me. Much yeah, easier. especially considering now that I'm sitting here thinking about it. So we opened up the episode with Domenico finding the body. And then we have that brief episode, I mean, that brief scene where Matthew goes to, to Father Hubbard. And then the, the next scene is Jack eating. And, and Diana is talking about how she's not helping his table manners. You know what? You might be right. And it would be it would be easy for Domenico to be like, look, I know exactly who it is. It's a declare. Right. Hmm. Boom. Boom. Okay. So it's, I, right. It's not actually it's they, they made it too easy because the connection, they the stories were parallel too closely. Right. That was happening, and at the same time, there's this this kid that Matthew has has, has an affinity for now. Mm-hmm. And and a replacement for his dead son. Yeah, and oh. I could see you know at some point something happening to him. I, I, obviously, they're not going to be there. You know, for him to grow up to be an adult and turn. Yeah, and we know how they feel about turning kids. They don't do that thing. Yeah, I know it's an Anne Rice thing, but I think in general, I think vampires would not want to turn children they they don't because it um it was similar in twilight as well like they actually put to death vampires that turn children in in that series the volturi did so um so yeah that that's a good theory i like that so if if matthew doesn't turn him that means someone in his family did you know Mm -hmm. like maybe philippe or maybe he left him with philippe you know when they went back who knows I 
I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't know if I would see Felipe as the. I, I don't know. No, I don't know. no, I, I wouldn't think so. I'm. I'm trying to figure out a way. I'm trying to make my theory work. Yes. Okay. Oh. Oh. I see. I'm trying to make it work. But your theory makes a lot of sense. It really does. So, you know. But it doesn't make sense for Matthew to have sired him though, because he would have to be either you know like Marcus, early twenties, late teens. Yeah. Yeah. But. Well, maybe, maybe he's a maybe he's a midget, like a nineteen-year-old midget. Maybe he's just really short for us. That is not the politically correct term. Okay, maybe he's maybe he is vertically challenged, and he's nineteen. That's better. Like, I thought I thought he was a spy. I thought maybe he was working for Father Heather or um, Cecil. I thought because that he was first, always at first... the top of the stairs, listening to their conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, I just. That makes sense, but I kind of want to be, I want to have the mommy heart right here. I just want to, I just want to feel like he's doing that because he wants to feel like he, he belongs. I mean, this is a kid who's been out on the street, who's been eating scraps, who hasn't been taken care of. And now he's got people to take care of him. And I think that's just kind of his way to kind of be involved. You know, it's kind of he like. He also keeps I mean, having this, uh, same, the same dream about a tall man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wondered about that too. I wondered about mm. that. So, foreshadowing. Maybe he's a witch. Well, well, huh? Well, hmm. I mean that they that he that that would, that would be prescient if he if he saw somebody if he's having dreams of somebody and in the future he meets this person, then maybe he or maybe he's a demon showing showing witch tendencies. Actually, yeah, that's, that's not a, that's, that's pretty good. Bad. Actually, now that I think about it, yeah, because that we're was gonna have to start doing like a, a, a we're gonna have to start taking like bets on which theories we. <laughs> but but, but wouldn't but wouldn't they also have have real? Wouldn't they have felt that he was a demon? Mm. Well, if you think about what no. said, demons don't show their stuff until they right. They if you think about yeah, so yeah, he's he's not at that age yet. He's still very young. So, it, I mean, that could be a thing. Yeah, because yeah, because he's still yeah. He, I, I yeah. He doesn't even. I mean, he doesn't even look like he's reached a pre pre pubescent stage yet. Like he still might be. Six, eight, somewhere around there, nine maybe. Eight to ten, maybe, yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Cause like we've all speculated, we know that he's gonna be an important part to the story. We just don't know in what way yet. So yeah, I mean, there's so many things like some of the stuff that we're discussing now. I haven't thought of until I got here and started discussing it with you guys because my brain works a lot better when I have other people to bounce ideas back and forth on. So it's kind of like, oh, we just opened up a whole new world. Like I'm starting to think things that I didn't even think about when I watched the episode. But now it's like, okay, yeah, a lot of these things make sense. So we'll see. But um, I want to move on. Let's talk about Diana. We got to talk about Diana because she yeah. goes for her first training and 
Goody Alsop has her gathering with her. So these are three other witches. All th all four of these witches, um, they they basically exhibit one of the elements and they're presenting Diana with these strands of life that pull from the elements and they're, they tell Diana that she needs to choose the strand that calls out to her the most. And she kind of panics and gets frustrated because she's, she starts reaching for all of the threads from each of the elements. And Goody Alsop realizes that that means that Diana has all four elements in her blood, which we've already, you know, talked She's about. The She's the avatar. We 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 talked about this. She is the avatar, <laughs> you know. And um, you know, so in the midst of this, her conversation with Goody Alsop, she she basically starts talking about her aunt Sarah, and she tells Goody Alsop, you know, Sarah is the really gifted one, which is so weird for her to say to me because. In this show, I'm really sitting here trying to think, like, we hear Sarah talk about magic all the time. I don't think I've ever seen Sarah do any magic. It's always Emily that we see doing mm. the magic. And same thing happens in this episode because when Sarah, I mean, when Diana starts talking about her aunt, she talks about Emily and she talks about how she misses them and how she wishes they knew that she was okay, that she was safe. So then we get, you know, we get a pan to Setur and Emily is scrying and she's doing her thing and she's calling up a spirit and she calls, she calls to Rebecca and another face appears. And I'm, I'm not going to tell y'all how many times I tried to, to see who flash was. freeze my TV <laughs> in just the right way to figure out who the hell this face was because whoever it was, it kind of scared Emily. Like she immediately like, you know, she put her hand in the smoke to kind of dissipate it. But I was like, who is that? I couldn't tell. However, I do want to address something that you said. Alex Kingston doesn't have to do magic. Alex Kingston is. I'm not talking oh, about Jesus. Alex Kingston. Oh. I'm talking about Sarah Bishop. <laughs> I know okay, about her love for Alex Kingston. I would yeah. never say anything <laughs> negative hey, about her. No, no, no. You have no, no. Give him his moment. He deserves it. We, we gave you your Domenico. Okay, you're we right. Did. You're right. Excuse me. But no, but we, I, I was I said, talking about I Domenico. I wasn't talking about the actor who played mm -hmm. Domenico. I was mm -hmm. talking about Domenico. Whatever Alice Kingston is doing, whoever she's playing, <laughs> she's magic. That's all I'm going to say. Continue. I'll, I'll yeah, she was that. trying to dissipate that face. Whoever it was. Yes, yes. So the... the Either of you was she asking specifically for Rebecca? Well, she said Rebecca is that yes. you, you know, because she was she. I don't know what she was trying to see, but it's like it was obvious it was about to take the shape of a person, and then she a said, bad "Turn, yeah, yeah." And she said, "Rebecca is that you?" And then the face shows itself, and she goes, <gasps> and she kind of, you know pushes it to the side, but I was like, I want to know who that is. But can I say that Miss Pettisford, anytime that she is doing anything as Emily, 
she moves so gracefully and she mo it's just like oh she's God. mesmerizing on the screen and i even put mm -hmm. this somebody somebody mm -hmm. um tweeted about it and i i had to make that comment i was like she's so mesmerizing when she's on the screen it's kind of like i just want to sit there and watch her just she can sit there and do magic all day and i'll just sit there uh but if you realize something, I don't know if you guys noticed this, when uh, Diana was talking about them, this was the first time she said my Aunt Sarah and my Aunt Emily. She actually called her her aunt. She hadn't done that before. Yeah, she has. She did? Mm -hmm. I'm, I must have but missed she always says She always says my aunts Sarah and Emily, but she says aunts plural. Right, okay, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, because I didn't think she, but I thought that was the first time, okay. Also, but did she call her Auntie M in this episode? Mm-hmm. Yes, she did. Hmm. She did. So yeah, I I thought that too. <laughs> they look like clouds. She calls her Auntie M, and we're talking about witches, and hmm, and there's wind involved. I'm sensing a I'm sensing a Wizard of Oz parallel here. Well, Somehow. I uh, I just got over once upon a time, but don't drag up those memories, please. <laughs> I, I mean, just got over it. <laughs> I mean, you, you got to think about it. It's like Auntie M and it's like yeah. and whirlwinds. And I'm like, I I mean, but I, I definitely agree with you that her, her movements are like, I literally thought she was, I literally thought she created that little circle of clouds in front of her. I was like, okay, yeah, she's good. Like, all right. Yes. And then but she's, um, she's very graceful, but she's, she's also mesmerizing because her, her facial expressions, you know, I mean, she, she's cool. Yes. Mm-hmm. But going back to Diana, so immediately after she has this conversation with Goody Alsop, they try again. And they assist her in the in the sense that they decide instead of having her grasp at just whatever cost her, they're going to give her their strands one by one. And so she can try to weave it and create a, her own spell. So she gets through the first, she gets the first one. She kind of ties the knot, whatever, whatever the, the knot is, it's, it's kind of creating something new. She gets the second strand. She gets the third strand and you can see her struggling with the third strand. But once she finally gets it tied and connected to the other two, boom, this magnificent magical tree blooms out of her hands and I was literally I paused the TV because I was like oh my god this is so gorgeous yeah. but again you know it kind of it kind of speaks to what I think Lori said the last time we recorded episode you know we were talking about Diana and the egg and Diana and the fruit and how she kind of um she kind of not necessarily creates life or takes away life, but she has the power to kind of, that she can control time. And it's just kind of like, she takes these little strands of life and it's like, almost like with that tree, she, she kind of created of life. And yeah, it was just like, right. So it was, and, and all of them were kind of like flabbergasted. They were like, whoa, she just did this like, Again, this is a witch that has no control over her power. She's never had any formal training. She, most of what she's doing at this point is on instinct. Yeah. And, and she didn't even get to use the fourth strand. She didn't even get to the fourth one. So can right. you imagine? 
when she gets control enough that she can use the fourth one and she can create I don't know what kind of spell she can create like can she create anything or is it like certain things are there limitations to that but it's just kind of that was like one of the beautiful moments of that episode it was just really really a great you know it was it was just a beautiful thing yeah. to see this scene reminded me of the scene in Iron Man 1 where Tony Stark created the new element where he like he had the, the fairground and he moved everything around then all of a sudden he just went like jazz hands and the element was like all around him yes and, like they, it gave me it totally gave me that vibe as far as like discovering something that wasn't there before and the sense of wonder and awe that she had because mm-hmm. I thought I almost thought she was spelled at first because when she when she threw her arms open and was looking up, she literally had her mouth open and her eyes wide for and it the, seemed and like it, inordinate, yeah, yeah, an inordinate amount of time. I was like, is she spelled? Like, did she spell herself somehow? But she came, but she snapped back out of it. But it's like I just thought again, I thought, and plus it was just incredibly beautiful. Like, yeah, I think she's true. just in awe, you know, like wow, was, this is what I can do. For someone who's had their magic suppressed pretty much all their life, for her to be able to do something of that magnitude, I I would probably sit there and cry too. And and then um, Mistress Norman, that is her name, right? Mistress Norman, she she makes a statement once they realize it's a rowan tree. She says, it's a crossing between two worlds, a union of opposites. And then later on when Diana is leaving, she asks, um, she asks Mistress Norman, she says, why couldn't I control it? And the answer she gives her is magic feeds from all aspects of your life. Everything is intertwined. So I think personally, I feel like Diana does not have control of her magic and probably won't have complete control of her magic because everything that's important to her right now is, is not with her, you know? Just like she says her magic is tied to her emotions and her emotions are tied to Matthew, her emotions are also tied to her family. And so I feel like as long as she is displaced from them, uh, mainly speaking of Sarah and Emily, she's not going to have full control of her magic. Like she may be able to learn everything that she needs to in 1590, but I think in order to see Diana's full powers she's gonna have to go back to the 21st century she's gonna have to have everything that is important to her with her in order for her to be however magnificent she's gonna be once she comes into these powers so you're saying that the head and the heart have to be completely in sync on all areas yes yes okay okay well, I mean, that, that makes sense, but see that you could also say that about Matthew. I mean, if for him to get himself where he needs to really to survive in 1590 and make it forward, he obviously needs to make a lot of uh, amends of what happened back then. He may not remember everything, but obviously it affected him, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it's sort of like they both have to come full circle. So, yeah. yeah. I, I think Matthew will probably... Maybe once he gets to France, that will be just another step in his journey because I get the feeling Uh, we've we've always talked about his relationship with Philippe and 
you know, it was kind of weird to us that in some instances he called, he calls Philippe his father. And then in other instances, he's his stepfather. And then you kind of have, you kind of have a feeling of a lot of love and a lot of respect. But then at the same time, we learn in this second season that Philippe sent Matthew on a mission. And part of that mission has to do with turning in fellow Catholics, which of course, you know, has to Matthew has to mess with Matthew's conscience and his heart. So, you know, he's not at peace with that. So I think maybe once he goes to set tour and he gets to actually see Philip again, maybe he can kind of like Diana says, seeing Philippe might be the thing that also heals him, you know? So I, th I think we're going to get that part of Matthew's journey too. And maybe that's, maybe that's something else that will help Diana come into her power. Once Matthew is complete, he can be a better mate to her, a yeah. better help to yeah. her, a better partner to her. And then that will help her out as well. You know, it's, it's one of those things, um, Lori and I talked about this yesterday, talking about another show. I don't necessarily like when they present relationships where the power of one person is dependent solely on mm -hmm. their relationship or solely on mm -hmm. the person that they're in love with. What I like about this series and this relationship with Matthew and Diana is they are consistently saying to each other that they are a team, that they are in this together, that what they go through, they go through together, that they are stronger together. It's always been about us and not he's my reason for existing. She's my reason for existing. Like this is the only reason. No, they have to do it together as a team. And they present that very well in the show. You know, it's not about, oh, if if Matthew was not around, Diana's just going to die, you know, out of heartbreak or the same. You know, it, it's just it's not that way. Uh, they they present themselves as very much a, an equally yoked couple. As opposed to Twilight. Uh, We're not even getting into that conversation right now. Yeah. Lori, yeah. you're going to say something. <laughs> no, it's okay. Oh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah! That was awesome. Oh, well, um, you, you brought up um, her leaving, Diana leaving, and I just wanted to talk about the conversation she had with Giddy Alsop. Mm -hmm. And it was echoing the, the conversation that Yoda had with Luke <laughs> and Empire Strikes <laughs> Back. Oh, jeez. Oh, she was yeah. like, she was like, this is something I have to do. And she's like, well, I don't think you're ready. You haven't finished your training yet. I was like, oh my God. That's <laughs> I mean, she was already giving me Yoda-like qualities. You know, right. Awesome. But that that scene, I was sitting there thinking, this is straight out of Empire Strikes Back. Like, all of my instincts are telling me to go. And she's like, uh, but you haven't yeah. finished your training yet. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that. She could lose a hand. She <laughs> <You> could. <laughs> so the other thing, well, I, I think the other thing that we have to talk about with this episode, and I think this is the only thing we haven't really covered, is Kit and Cecil. So 
of course we we have our you know we have our theories that kit is in love with matthew whether or not that love was reciprocated or not at, i think at first i was kind of like no maybe not and as the episodes get deeper into the season i'm starting to rethink my own theory like yeah i think there totally was something going on there but you know matthew goes to see kit and then almost immediately after that they come home and they have a visitor sitting at the table and it's Cecil. And of course, you know, he's there making his snide comments because he realizes that Matthew has married a witch and this is why he is, you know, had sympathies for the witches lately. He's also calling into question Matthew's loyalty because Matthew has not mentioned this wife to him. He's not mentioned it to the queen who Matthew apparently works for or does errands for whatever the case may be. And so now they have been summoned to court. They're getting summoned a lot of places. They got to go to Septour. They've got to go to court to meet the queen. Now, no, Diana's kind of like, um, well, this is not exactly how I would have wanted to meet Queen Elizabeth if I had my choice. So, but you got to give it up for Mary Sidney. Mary Sidney hears about this and she's walking through the streets of London with these trunks and everybody is getting out of her way. I'm like, yes, come on with the respect. So she brings Diana this, you know, she, she brings her clothes and she's like, oh, we've got to make sure that you're ready for the queen. And but she said, you need to have your armor. Your armor needs to be. Yeah. Right. You need to make sure you have your armor and, um, you know, Diana, I, I, I like the fact that, you know, ever since Diana stepped into 1590, she has had to deal with snide comments. She's had to deal with side eyes. She's had to deal with, you know, people just, one, I think getting thrown off by the fact that Matthew is there with her at all, because of course, again, as far as they all know, Matthew has been gone for a couple of weeks. So they're they're still trying to figure out how in the world did you have the time to do what you're supposed to be doing for the queen and you found time to meet this woman, fall in love, marry her, and bring her home. And then she's a witch on top of that. So like Diana has been getting like this mixed reaction, but mostly negative reaction ever since she's been in 1590. And then she has the one female who, you know, by historical accounts, is a very powerful female in that era at that time. And this woman is like, becomes your fast friend. Diana lucked out. You've got the most powerful witch on your side training you. And then you've got the most popular female art, uh, artist or writer as your friend and confidant. Yeah, Diana's gonna be fine in 1590. She just needs to go ahead and learn that magic so she can find this book. Yeah, that's true. And, oh my God, I'm so sick. Of, I'm sick of Kit already. It's like, Kit's gonna be the end of Matthew if he keeps up. I'm just I don't know, I think Matthew's I probably- I, I agree. Before that. Well, you, okay, see, Maybe, maybe not the be all, the end all, but he at least will have a hand in it. 
I think. Yeah. I think that see, the whole thing, whole thing with Kit is that I don't believe I don't believe he told Cecil. I believe I believe old Mother Hubbard's bitch ass told him. And <laughs> so, I, but I think I think Kit was set up to fall, take the fall for that. So I really oh, don't definitely. He, yeah, he was definitely set up. But, but he didn't make he, it. He, he went to Cecil and he said, "You need to tell him I didn't tell you. Mm-hmm. You need to tell right. Matthew I didn't tell you." He's like, "Well, you should have told me. That's what I pay you for." So we find right. out, Kit is actually spying on Matthew for him. Mm-hmm. But, but then the other thing, the other thing is. He tells Cecil, I would have never betrayed him. And Cecil's like, yes, you would have if it would have served you. And he didn't say a word. Served you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he would have. I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> you can ignore it all you want to. The facts are facts. And that's the way this is. You can tell you can tell by the by his mannerisms, you can tell by how he's acting like a little jealous bitch that this is exactly the way that it is. I can't remember if it was Matthew or Gallowglass, but one of them said, Yeah, he would have told if if it suited if it suited him. I said they all know that he would have turned him in if he if he if it benefited him. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who said that. You're right, they did say that. Someone, didn't they? someone did say that. I think, yeah. I think Matthew said it to him it because Matthew. Matthew went to confront Kit after after Cecil left the house. He went to confront mm-hmm. him and he basically yeah. was like, um, "You're trying to put Diane in danger. What do you think that if she's gone, it, things will go back to the way they they used to be?" He was like, "They, I'm nothing without Diana," and. He started growling, and Kit was looking like, oh, shit, oh, shit. Like, Kit looked absolutely terrified. Like, I think he might have needed to change pants after that scene. He looked scared. But Matthew was like, you stay away from her, and you stay away from me. So, bruh, you kind of had a good thing going. I mean, y'all went to go hang out, and and when you were like, yeah, let's go have some fun, what did Matthew say to you? So, (laughs) I take it you need a loan like you could have you just been cool and you would have been all right but no jealousy always has to rear its head in the ugliest of ways and i'm sorry kit is just like i I said before i said i'm hoping kit will change his tune and maybe become a better person not necessarily better character because you always kind of want to have a character that has kind of like that love hate conflict but you're not gonna keep causing problems for my girl and my dude. It's not about to happen. I don't understand why all these secondary characters aren't, except for Domenico, can't keep their cool, keep their wits about them, and then formulate a plan where they're not going to get found out and have and invoke Matthew's rage. Like, what's her name? Little Tattletale girl can do it. Knox could do it. Kit can't do it. It's like the only person that can formulate a plan, stick to it, and reasonably execute it is Domenico. And it's like all of them don't. Oh my God. <laughs> Domenico has the advantage of having been around a while. Right, right. Yeah, yeah but it's like. And you, you kind of have to learn that if you rule a whole city. Yeah, you kind of do. And, yeah. and the green monster is is a terrible monster. True. Anybody to have to deal with. Uh-huh. And if you think about it, you know, your girl with the red hair, she was jealous of Diana. And you got Kit is jealous of Diana. 
and you've got who else did you mention? Um, um everybody, Knox. Like Knox. Jealous of her power. And jealous of Steven. And jealous of Steve. So yeah, the jealousy is, is a is a powerful, powerful thing. That's why it's one of the That's true. That's true. Jealousy is a big thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we, we also have to realize that as as Diana's being trained, Satu's being trained by her momo. So she's gonna be ready to fight too. I can't I can't wait. I can't wait to see to but see that one. We're not getting any present day stuff at all. Hardly any. And, and yeah, we just we just saw her go go see her, and then she was like, "Come, come, let's go train," and that's it. That's yeah. it. So we just have to assume that she's learning the right. same as. That's going to be a hell of a fight. This is going to be a hell of a fight, or they're going to be a hell of a force, like together. Uh, I, together. I, I'm yeah. I'm on the force side. I I think that they're going to actually team up. I don't I don't know if I believe that they're going to actually be against each other. Well, they they have to come to. A, to an understanding, first of all, so there there will be a small disagreement slash fight, but yeah, I agree with that. I don't know. I, I I'm I, we talked about it last week, and I and I uh, I try to stay off of spoilers and stuff, but I did see that they're going to start doing more present day stuff starting in the next couple episodes, so that's good because it's like it's so one sided right now that I'm I'm not tired of it, but I'm getting a little bored right now. Because how many times can I watch uh, Matthew introduce, you know, Diana as his wife, and how many times can she tell him that I can make up my own mind and I don't need your help? <laughs> yeah, how many, how many times is she gonna walk walk through town and chase witches like train me, train me, train me? Well, this is true. This is true. I mean, well, yeah, it, it, it'd be it'd be nice to get back to modern day and see something else. I mean, yes, I'm I really, want to see. I'm really tell off Jabert. You could have yeah, sent I'm, an email. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> that was, I saw that in the profile. I was like, "Oh, Isabel's about to be a smart ass. Yeah. I'm here for it." Yeah, that was great. She said, "You, you came all the way here to tell me that you could have sent an email." You sent an email. That's awesome. Goddamn, Miss Love her. <laughs> Love um, her. Oh, I think we covered everything. Let's see. Do we we covered? I keep thinking um, of some old town that we forgot. Well, while you think about it, the uh, we're going to have some Game of Thrones time travel coming up soon because you know it's going to take them a minute to get to France. It's going to take them a minute, you know, to get to Bohemia. We didn't talk about their meeting with the Queen. Oh yeah, and oh, I would yeah, say that was so historically. That is, that's a, oh yeah, that was in this episode, wasn't it? Yeah. And they didn't show her for the longest time. I kept looking at, I, I was telling Hanako, I have a bad habit of getting up and standing in front of my TV, hoping it makes it clear or whatever. Move, <laughs> <laughs> move, turn around. Turn no, around. seriously, it's like, because they, they wouldn't focus on her face. Right. So I, okay, move out the way. But, uh, yeah, they that was that was quite interesting. I, I I was actually surprised at how much um I guess you use the word lip that Matthew had with her when he was explaining himself because well, he was, he was little, charming. <laughs> he was charming, but he was a little bit more forward than I thought that, you know, someone in her station would, you know, would allow. 
Yeah. You know what? That is true. I think it seems like they had that type of relationship where he might be a little more frank with her. Maybe when when it's just the two of them. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why she sent everybody else out the room, because then, you know, Matthew is not going to be disrespectful at all, but he may be a little bit more uh, loose with his tongue than he would in Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. the full court was there or, you know. Well, he was he was called her her most trusted and most reliable shadow. Right. So and so she's probably asked him to do things when no one else, you know, when everyone is gone, she tells him what she needs him to do. Right. And they probably have a lot of frank conversations in those moments. And mm-hmm. he just kind of slipped a little bit, kind of forgot who was who all was there when <laughs> he, you know, challenged her just a little bit. But I mean, it was just her and Di- it was just her and Diana. So it's kind of like uh, again, I think maybe because of the nature of their relationship or their working relationship, maybe there is like a, a, a little more intimacy between the two of them than, than it would be with, say, she might have with Cecil. Because, of course, Cecil is her trusted advisor. But for someone in power, usually the person who is your trusted advisor is the one that's going to betray you. So she probably doesn't have that kind of relaxed relationship with Cecil she can do that with Matthew because again Matthew probably knows like the secrets nobody else knows and he's proven his loyalty so he might have leeway to be a little bit less formal with her in his speech yes Cecil, Cecil's 100% Jafar in this in this thing like he, <laughs> like except I'm, look, I'm looking for his Iago but he's 100% Jafar in this oh, like, because Elizabeth is is the type that she is looking for because she was looking for Kelly too because it's like she she's the type of person that has like has astron astrologers and and squires on the payrolls that she could be she can have them set to have them tell her what's coming up or what's getting ready to happen or all kinds of other stuff and she's the type and she really is into it like that. And so, she's also trying to live forever. Yeah. And it's because she don't want that crazy dude in Bohemia to live forever. She can't. That's that's, right. gonna, that's a problem for her. Yeah. Because yeah. she already feels like if you know anything about Queen Elizabeth, she's all about protecting England. She's all about that. And she believed that she was the only one that could do it. So she wants to live forever so she can continue to protect England. Yep. That's what she was all about. During her reign, mm-hmm. yeah, I should let the historian say that, but yeah, no, 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 you're, 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 I have nothing to add on that. That was an interesting meeting, though. First of all, uh, we've talked about this before the costumes, absolutely gorgeous. Oh, that that whole thing, the ruffled collar, the detail, the stitching. I'm sitting there going, Oh, that's so pretty. I mean, it's it was so nice. gorgeous. They, the, the attention to detail that they put into these costumes is just magnificent. I mean, the colors. See, th- this was the first time I was not paying attention to the costumes because I kept thinking, if she wants a sorcerer stone, why don't she just go find Nicholas Flamel? Like, is he? Because <laughs> technically <laughs> speaking, Nicholas, Nicholas Flamel was already dead at that time. Okay. Because he died in the uh, 1400s. Okay. 
But he was in he was in Harry Potter, so how's that possible? <laughs> Harry Potter. Because in it's Harry be, Potter, supposedly lot. he had already made the, the philosopher's stone and he was drinking from it. We're not talking about Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Okay. See, I was I was, I was waiting for the reference. As soon as, soon as they started talking about philosopher's stones, I was like, okay. Yeah, I, I'm waiting. Look, I had it pulled up on my phone because I wanted to make sure. Because when we were trying to figure out, okay, so who, if Edward Kelly wasn't, you know, Stephen Proctor, then I was like, oh, we're seeing Nicholas Romero. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh no, the time is not wrong. And then I was like, okay, Hanako, get out of get out of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. He didn't really live for six hundred and something years. This is why I'm glad Michael is back because we got more references. <laughs> So does this mean Cecil has the el- the elder one somewhere in his? He's probably looking for it. I, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. But um, yeah, I like the way that Diana kind of you know she she kind of deferred to the queen. The queen is like. Um, she was basically like, honey, if you know anything like I know anything about men, they can't serve two women at the same time. <laughs> Diana was like, oh, no, I what was it? She said, I command my husband to uh, obey your, uh, you know, whatever. Obey only or something. Yeah. Yes. And Elizabeth is like, she's clever. Too clever. <laughs> like, okay, she Diana. said just the right thing, though. You she know, did, but See, that's the, the thing time. with Diana. It's kind of like, okay, Diana, this is not the time for you to go into your whole, I don't need anyone to tell me, blah, blah. This is not, read the room. And she read the room and she did it. Like Lori, like Lori pointed out before, she just always, that's her superpower. She knows exactly Mm -hmm. what to say and Mm -hmm. when to say it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I I wanted to say that she has a real knack for really fitting in and knowing what to say and all this other stuff. I keep, I'm, I'm afraid that you're going to say I'm giving the writers too much credit. So I just... No. no. I said They're that consistent the, I said with that. that. When we, yeah, I said that in the last episode that we did. She has very good instincts. She has really good instincts, like superior instincts about... And, and she's been reading like that since the first episode of season one. So that that's a consistent thing. So yeah, I will give the writers credit for that because mm-hmm. they're, they're consistent with her being able to do that. Yeah, because she knew like, even, even though Matthew was a vampire, there was something about him that she knew she could trust him, you know, that he wouldn't hurt her and that, you know, there was just something about him. She knew- Except him, there was that one time she slipped up and she said, what do I taste like? But I'm even then, he didn't hurt that. her. <laughs> he literally, she kissed him and he got up and walked out the house. He's like, yeah, we're not. So even then, she, it was as crazy as it was. Yes. <laughs> she still trusted her instincts and her instincts were right. You know, she trusted yeah. that when, when she had to uh, feed, feed Matthew to keep him from dying, you know, everybody else was like, you're going to kill her. You're going to kill her. Diana never thought that. She was like, okay, you know what? If that if that time ever comes, I trust you enough to know that you won't hurt me. She has good instincts. She knew Knox wasn't about shit when, when she first met him, you know? And like I said, the only thing that, the only way that he got as close to her as he did was because he brought up her mother. And he was able to tell her a few things about her mother growing up that nobody else 
really had been able to, except for maybe Sarah, but she probably did, didn't ask Sarah a lot because that would have been painful for Sarah. You know, that's her sister. So she, her, her instincts are spot on. So, and it's probably going to help her when they go to Centaur, let's be honest. And also, did you notice how everyone walked out of the queen's room, walking backwards? Oh yeah, because you yeah, never show your back to yeah, back. you never show your back yeah. to royalty. Yeah. 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 A lot of shows don't don't follow that. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm trying to remember there was there was a there was a TV show or a movie that I watched, and that happened where somebody turned it back and said. You dare turn your back on me? I cannot remember right now. Was it the Tudors? It could have been the Tudors. It might have been. It might have been. Sounds like sounds like something that would have happened in the. It might have been the Tudors, but yeah, I I just that that kind of that stuck in my brain when when I saw that, and I was like, oh, okay, good. And they were like, really, you know, stepping backwards, and then once they got to a certain point, that's when they turned and left. I was like, okay. So there's the tutors, the one where they asked about Anne Boleyn, and then didn't the Pope or the Cardinal say, haven't they killed her yet or something? Or am I misunderstanding? Because I, for some reason, that line came up. And I thought it was hysterical. Uh, given that that was Car Cardinal Woolsey, it might have been. Because <laughs> he said, she said like yeah, because he said something, something like that. And I remember it. I think that was like the last episode I watched because I got busy. But I thought it was just hysterical and brilliant at the same time. Go back um, and watch that series. <laughs> yeah. No, I I loved the whole thing. I thought that the way that they handled the the way that they did the queen, the way that she looked, and the fact that they kind of had her a little bit of shadow, and then they showed her. You could see that. You know, the power was off. And that's the other thing that I was really interested in is that if you look at the John D's um, assistant, you could really see the people who don't get outside, right. you know, who are bookworms. Because he was, I mean, we're talking, they need some vitamin C or something. Right. They look, yeah. you know, Fun and I, I thought that was interesting. She was an outlander too. <laughs> oh, she was? Okay. Uh, no, the, the new scryer for Dr. D's, he was an outlander as well. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, but yeah, but I, I like how they're they're making a, a really good effort to show us all the way down to the way that their power and complexion is the ones who obviously never leave the house go outside versus the people working. The, you know, I, I thought it was, they, they do a really good job with it. It was yeah. it was um, it was just a weird thing that I noticed. Since, since Lori mentioned Outlander, I was told not to mention uh, Jamie's relationship to a certain little boy, comparing it to Matthew's relationship to a certain boy. Why? I mentioned it. I didn't mention I, it. I've only watched like a half hour of Outlander at all. Like that's the only thing I've ever watched. Yes, Outlander I watched it. I turned obsession. it off. Outlander is my obsession. So yeah, that's yeah. that's the one. That's Fergus that I keep that I keep mentioning. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, it's very. Yeah. I told her. I told her you would bring it up before I would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've already brought it up several. Like literally from the moment we saw Jack, I was like, "Oh, that's our Fergus. That's our squirrel." Yeah. So those are the. Yeah. And and yeah. there are a lot of parallels uh with with those characters. So, but they're good. They're good parallels. So you know maybe Jack won't become the uh future throat ripper of 
Venice, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe he'll just be a sweet kid that grows up and, you know, they get to love him and be parents or whatever. So we'll, we'll see. I'm still loving that. That's not how that works. Yeah, that's not, that's not how any of that works. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody asked you. <laughs> but I guess for now, that's our show. You can find us online at www.fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time.